Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. I am, as you can see, at the very amazing Blaze Studios in Dallas, Texas. I am so happy to be here and even a bigger surprise for all of you, I have the one and only Chad Prather with me. How are you doing? I'm you good? doing good. It's funny when you say a surprise, it's like I crawled out from under the rock from being a hermit or something. Yeah. And just kind of snuck in. Yeah, you were on lockdown and you came just for <laughs> just for this, just for me. What I've been saying is for the last three months, because it's been very uh, skeletal, we'll say, around the studios yes, here at the place. Yes, this is the MTSF unit. Yeah, so I've been calling myself the uh, expendable uh, essential, basically, <laughs> because we've, we've continued to come in here. And shoot our shows. But I mean, look at me. Like, they, you know why they can sacrifice me. Yeah. Just get rid of me. They think this guy, he can, he could stand to get a little coronavirus. It's okay. It's <laughs> yeah. hardy. He'll make it through. Um, yeah. So you have, obviously, an amazing show on Blaze TV. People can subscribe to you if they haven't already. Follow you on all of the social medias. Yeah. Um, the first thing I want to ask you today is... There's obviously been a lot of discussion about comedy and whether it's racially insensitive. Are we causing too much offense to marginalized groups? So I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you dabble in the comedy. You're a uh -huh. funny guy. When can we expect an apology <laughs> for all of your insensitive jokes? So first of all, here's my thing on that. So traveling all across the country, it's interesting to get people's takes on what they find offensive. Mm -hmm. I did a show year before last in uh, Iowa of all places, Iowa. And the promoter afterwards, we were having a drink, she says to uh, me and the crew, she says, you guys should change the name of your tour. Well, at the time, the tour was the Star Spangled Banter. Love that. And I said, why would we change the name of the comedy tour? She said, because I think that most people feel that that's offensive. And I said, hmm. Star Spangled Banter, like a play on the word Star Spangled Banner, like the, the national anthem is offensive. She says, yeah, for liberals like me, it's offensive. She, and I said, so patriotism and the flag? She said, yeah, we just kind of find that offensive, like you're throwing it in our face. I said, oh, that's an interesting take on that. So from that, which is an extreme example, over to the other things that people individually get offended by, one of the things that I've been able to, to get away with, I can say all kind of stuff and say things that are stupid and inaccurate. You can't get away with that, right? You have to be accurate. But yeah. thankfully, you're smart and you can do that. <laughs> Me personally, not so smart. I can say, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just a comedian. And so I have an excuse. But I've always said, and I say it on stage almost every night I'm out, I say, I'm not apologizing for anything. Mm -hmm. Let me just go ahead and get that out of the way. I, I'm going to make fun of everybody. I make fun of myself. But then I don't care if you're white, black, gay, straight, male, female, fat, skinny. We're going to make fun of everybody. Because in comedy, ridicule, uh, it is... Not punching down ridicule and, and bullying, but just ridicule and on a stereotypical level, it's in the job description. You know, it's in the job description. The problem is, the problem is stereotypes exist for a reason because they're based in fact. And so statistically, if you're making jokes about a group of people, that has always been acceptable. Right. However, these days, people forget the group and they bring it down to the individual level. That's where they start getting offended. So if I say, you know, uh, uh, this joke about, we were talking, uh, you know, off camera earlier on, on, and even on my show, we, we were laughing about different stereotypes. And I said, you know, there's some we get offended by and some we accept. But people these days are like, well, you can't say that about me. Like one of my favorite jokes is karate is the Japanese word for my kid can't hit a curveball. <laughs> now I'm not talking about your kid. Right. Yeah. I'm. So if people get offended by that, and they're like, "Well, karate did great things for my kid." We're not talking about your kid. I'm just talking about kids in general. 
they're in karate because they're not playing baseball, right? So that's the joke. So the fact that people individualize that is, uh, is that's really the problem right now. But that has led us to a thin-skinned society. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, we have a lot of examples of how thin-skinned our society is that I want to ask you about. But first, yeah. I want to save all of you guys some money. Uh, we're all looking for ways to save money, especially now, lean times. But when was the last time you looked at how much you're spending every single month on your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance? Well, now's the time to check out Gabby and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an app to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers we're talking places like progressive nationwide and travelers uh, just link your current insurance account and in about two minutes you will have exact quotes for the same coverage you have with different providers you can save about an average of 825 dollars per year if you are a gabby customer and if they can't find you savings then hey at the very least you will know that you found the best deal out there and they will never sell your info important so no annoying robocalls so it's totally free to check your rate and there is no obligation take two minutes right now to see how much you can save on your car and homeowners insurance go to gabby.com slash lauren that's g-a-b-i dot com slash lauren again gabby.com slash lauren all right so i don't know if you've been keeping track of the whole voice actors controversy but apparently mm. now it's racist for a white person to voice a black cartoon character you've, you've heard about yeah, this. yeah yeah so do you how brave do you think these celebrities are for stepping back from these roles and allowing you know marginalized people of color to actually voice their same skinned animated counterparts isn't it funny that folks do that without any consideration of whether or not that so-called person of color has any talent to do voiceover for a cartoon that's sounding a little bit white supremacist Do, it, it does, it does doesn't yeah it? so a like Kristen bit. bell perfect example love Kristen bell gorgeous She's cutie gorgeous yeah. girl gorgeous i mean like probably on the list right you know you know the list <laughs> yes uh and so uh, gorgeous but the but the presumption of that is so bad that you have to step back in order to give somebody an opportunity. I mean, we live in a land of opportunity. We all have freedom of opportunity. We, you know, we don't have equality of success. We don't have equality of uh, of income and all of those things in terms, but we have access to that. We have freedom to go get it if we want it. But to say that I've got to step back in yeah. order for a person of color to get that, belittles a person of color and says, well, they're not as talented to get it on their own merits. It's like the affirmative action of Hollywood now, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and what happens if you, uh, you know, it recently happened with the family guy, the guy who's always done, um, oh, what's the character's name? Yeah, yeah well, but, but it's, it's Seth MacFarlane did yeah. most of them, but the guy who did, oh, the black guy, whatever his name is, I don't know, I forget, he's black. Well, yeah. of course I forgot. The uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Brown. <laughs> Cleveland there Brown, we go, there it is. Who was not Seth MacFarlane, but another guy, white guy who yeah. did, you know, and boom goes the dynamite. So he steps back and says he's no longer going to do it, right? Uh, when you see things like that, it's kind, it's kind of ridiculous. What happens if you're the voice of the dog? Yeah. Right. And do you step back so dogs can come in and be the voice actors for, you know, the dog character in these cartoons? These are cartoons. Yeah. It's not like we're asking a white person to put on blackface and play a, an African-American. That's not what we're doing. This is a voice. Uh, some people can do it. Some people can't do it. Some are voice actors. Some aren't. So it's, it's just absolutely insanity what we're doing. And, and to, to make that a virtue is ridiculous. Yeah. And it kind of it confuses me. Like, are you saying that? 
black people sound different and we can tell just yeah. by the voice like what's what's the message there very confusing um so i don't know if you listen to a lot of progressive comedy because i do and not because it's necessarily good but it's it's content right i, I yep. love me some low-hanging fruit right uh, yep. i don't have you seen hannah gadsby's work a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so what do you think of, quote, comedy like that? Because I feel like anytime we see progressive critics or the mainstream media now raving about a comedy special, it is something like Hannah Gadsby or, gosh, we just did this other one. She was on Netflix. The world is burning. I don't know, but it's it's the same type of thing. It is an angry liberal woman who's yeah. pretty much complaining about politics for like an hour. That to them is peak comedy. How do you feel about the future of your profession being that? Well, it's... It's changed the very nature of comedy. Yeah. Okay, I did uh, I did a an interview for a very popular magazine that's out there by a very left leaning uh, journalist, and his question to me was, "Why is it that liberal comics always punch up, but conservatives punch down? They're picking on people." And I said, "I don't see that at all. I mean, if I it, you know, we've always looked at." You, you know, I don't like the punching up, punching down idea. You know, punching down in comedy is the idea that you're picking on somebody that can't fight for themselves. Yeah. Right. Whereas I can go against Donald Trump because he's the system. He's the one we're fighting against. So when you do that, it it stops being comedy. It becomes political activism. And yeah. very few people can do that and make it funny. Dave Chappelle can do it and make it funny. George Carlin was able to do it and make it funny. Uh, but most people can't do it because then it becomes that Lena Dunham raving, ranting. You're trying to get an agenda agenda across that's not comedy yeah. that's not comedy go out there and be funny look at life take the funny elements out of it make it funny these days people are so scared of uh, of being offensive you know when jerry steinfeld won't when jerry steinfeld won't go on a college campus anymore because people are so thin-skinned he's not even that he's not offensive as a yeah. comic right he's mainstream yeah. seinfeld the show it's pretty tame i mean it's it's so when a guy like that won't do that that tells you that there's a problem in society i believe the last true bastion of free speech in america is comedy yeah. uh again because we have that disclaimer well i'm a comedian right I, I can say whatever i want to say i'm a comedian i don't have to apologize i'm a comedian but now they're demanding that and you have the cancel culture i love with uh the uh, the guy who started barstool sports right yes he came out just the other day and he said you can't cancel me right i can say anything i want to say you can't cancel me uh i tend to look at myself that way because i love everybody first of all i know my heart mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I appreciate it. I'm not going to beat you down. I'm not going to insult you in that way. I'm going to love you. But by loving you, I'm also going to razz you a little <laughs> bit because that's the way it works. You know, that's what you're able to do with people you care about. We can do it within our own family. You just don't allow people outside the family to do it. So that's the thing. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to do those things. I feel like the people who are truly doing comedy these days are people who kind of got grandfathered in before everybody got so woke. Yeah. Right? They 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 were saying these things long before and so they it's almost like they get an they have a pass. Mm -hmm. Like, "Eh, that's Daniel Tosh. We know he's going to be super offensive." Uh, but is he? Well, uh, you know, I mean, like if he came along today, they'd cancel him. The cancel culture be, would just be done with him. Uh, so it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon to watch. I I tend to look at it and I say, if you want to go out there and give a, a political diatribe with some humorous anecdotes, let's call it that. Right. But it's, it's not comedy. 
Yeah. And I, how do you feel about those celebrities who used to be edgy, kind of no holds barred, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll take shots at everybody, who have now kind of adopted that woke mentality? Because a lot of um, people who now are at the forefront of, oh, we can't say this, we can't joke about this, let's censor this. If you look at their work yeah. five, ten years ago, it wasn't like that. I'm talking about people like Sarah Silverman, mm -hmm. people like Tina Fey. It just seems like there's almost been a switch in these people's minds where they've turned their back on not only um, like other people's comedies, but even their own work. You know, Tina yeah. Fey, she recently requested, and NBC backed her up, that some episodes of her own show, 30 Rock, be removed from the library for having blackface. Like, what, yeah. what do you... What would your advice or your wisdom be for other comedians who are kind of doing that, not just to other people, but themselves? Well, my quote unquote wisdom, as you say, <laughs> it would be counterculture uh, in that don't apologize for those things. OK, so everybody, every comedian that's gone on in the 90s, let's say that was big in the 90s, they've done some form of blackface that's out there from Kimmel to Fallon yeah, to Tina exactly. Fey, Silverman. They've all done that element. Uh, now that is suddenly after the fact, woke culture says, we condemn you for that. You have to interpret people in light of the times in which they live and operate. At those times, that was not a, that was, everybody was doing it. I mean, uh, Jimmy Fallon comes out and does an imitation of Chris Rock, which is pretty much spot on. <laughs> and Chris Rock's his friend. At the time, Chris Rock wasn't offended by it. I don't think Chris Rock's offended by it now. So why, why now you got to come out there and, and, embrace the culture in such a way that you're apologizing for everything. So I don't like that aspect of it. What happened, happened. It's like pulling down statues in history. Mm -hmm. It happened. You can pull it off the air all you want. You can take the Cosby show down. What Bill Cosby did, see, he still did it. Yeah. Right? But Bill Cosby was also very funny. And he was a father of modern comedy. Um, incredible storyteller. He's still guilty for what he did. But, you, you know, you can pull it down all you want. And doesn't erase the fact that he did what he did. So I see all these things, and I, I'm just so hesitant with the apologies, man, because if, if I offended you, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you got offended, <laughs> but am I sorry that I did it? Mm, that's going to take a lot. Yeah. You and I, I'm glad you mentioned the whole statue thing, because something else that we have going on is, in addition to everyone being mad online about comedy, people are just mad about everything. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. noticed, but that's kind of like a running theme for 2020. I've seen on your show, you talk about things like defend the police and right. Obviously yeah. now there's this huge, I would say international conversation because it's not just the States. We're seeing it in Canada and Europe as well. This whole conversation about the police and just in general, uh, whether we should have apparently a lawless anarcho-communist yeah. society or actually have people enforcing the laws. Now, um, you know, I I very much respect uh, law enforcement officers, but I look at something like George Floyd and say, okay, maybe there's a conversation to be had about, you know, appropriate use of force and things like that. But when I look at the activists and their message that they're preaching, they're literally saying defund the police, dismantle the police. And some people say, oh, no, that's not what they mean. And then other people will be like, no, that's what we mean. That's right. um, so how, what's your take on that? Are, are we all going to be living in just like a giant <laughs> chaz in the next year or so? Yeah, I hope not. Uh, their murder rate is up. Yes. I'm telling you, it didn't take long. Uh, it's funny to me in 2020, there's two things we as Americans agreed on. One, Carol Baskin killed her husband. Absolutely. And two, uh, George Floyd was a, was a tragedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were all together on that. And then it became about political activism and defund the police. Are there bad cops? Of course there are. So my stance has been uh, the majority of the cops out there, they just want to, at the end of the day or at the end of the shift, I should say, come home to their family. 
uh, he or she wants to come home to their family. How uh, modern of you. They, they, well, I mean, they have families that, that are praying for them while they're gone. They kiss their family goodbye. They go out. They do their 12 hours. They come back home. Uh, and, and it's a life or death situation. I mean, we had a police officer in Fort Worth where I live just three weeks ago who was hit by a speeding car while giving a ticket and was drugged 90 feet behind that car and put in critical condition. Uh, it's a miracle that he, he lived through that. And it was a horrible situation. You just never know what's going to happen. That's the majority of those Oath Keepers. I defend the Oath Keepers. So a guy like Derek Chauvin, who puts his knee for eight minutes and, what, 48 seconds yeah. on the neck of George Floyd, regardless of who George Floyd was or what his past was or history or anything like that, uh, that's a bad cop. He's not keeping his oath. And so we don't defend people like that. But there's bad surgeons. There's right. bad ministers. Uh, there's, there, you know, yeah, there's bad cops. There's bad everything. There's bad TV hosts. I mean, you know, we've seen all of that stuff. I mean, you, you, you look at all these folks and then all of a sudden, um, you know, what's his name? Who was raping the women, you know, with NBC, uh, the little guy with the bald head, I, whatever, <laughs> you know, who had the door lock on his thing. I, 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 these guys are so quick to get out of my mind. Uh, but they're household names. It, it, you have bad people in everything. Mm -hmm. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't do that. I've always said that the two professions that need to be the hardest to get and should be uh, compensated the best are police officers and school teachers. Right. It's too easy to get those jobs. They need better training. They need better compensation. It needs to be harder to have those jobs. Do we need to have that conversation? Yeah. Do they need more training? Yeah. Do we need an understanding on the part of people who have no idea what it's like to do that job, how difficult that job is? Yes. Uh, we have to come to an understanding. Do I feel for the black community and their, uh, their plight and their sense of plight, uh, even though statistically it doesn't always get backed up? Yes. I realize through all of this stuff that I, I've gone back, I've done... Uh, more research on black history through this, this this time. I've been seeing on Instagram, you've been posting these amazing stories of amazing right. patriots who are black yeah. and the contributions they've had to the, the country. People that have never gotten uh, the, the proverbial shout out yeah. in history. Uh, you know, the, these folks who against all odds created something, did something in the United States. Um, and I want to do a Crispus Attucks t-shirt, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows who Crispus Attucks is. He's the first man who shed blood on the American side in the Boston Massacre, you know, for, for the Revolutionary War. I mean, he was a great patriot who stood up and I want to do a cash me outside Crispus <laughs> Attucks, you know? I mean, there's, there's people who need to be honored. So I've gone back and I've done all of those things. And I, you look at that and I'm like, okay, the conversation is being had. I mm -hmm. get that. The issue that I have is how far do we go with this? Because I just feel like when it, when you put an ism on the activity, <laughs> you, it's never satisfied. Yeah, You never can satisfy it. So if you, if you defund the police, you get rid of the police, then what are you going to do? You're not going to be satisfied then either. Well, I mean, what I've kind of noticed is that I'm on I'm in the same boat as you. I respect cops. And it doesn't mean that there aren't criticisms I have of the way a lot of police forces yeah. function. It's like, yeah, let's talk about things like more training, et cetera, et cetera, which incidentally, ironically enough, would take more funding, not defunding to, right, right. to get them the things that they need. But I feel like even if you're talking to someone on the left, and I'll say maybe further left, I won't paint all liberals with the same brush. But if you're talking mm. to them and you're acknowledging their issues, let's talk about it. Unless you're willing to point the finger at racism specifically in the police force, then they're going to say yeah. that you're a fascist bootlicker, complicit, et cetera, et cetera. So why, where do you think this overwhelming like racial component of it crept in? Because even where I live, which is Montreal, by the way, uh, I, there was a piece of graffiti on one of the tunnels saying 
what is it burn burning cop cars will light our way to the future or something yeah. and there's a growing black lives matter movement i look at somewhere like montreal and we don't have the same history as the united states in terms of things like slavery i, I don't think their version of history even applies to the united states but it's like it's a different country but they're still trying to push <clears throat> that racial component of it even yeah. though it's completely different so where's that coming from how do we get rid of it well, I think one of the things is you, you can you can change all of the externals you want until you change the internal of the human heart, because at the end of the day, for millennia, we've experienced man's inhumanity to man. OK, that history is chock full of that genocidal uh, episodes of history, uh, Holocaust, all of these things that have happened uh, for for literally thousands of years. People have just created ways to be evil with one another. So it happens in the human heart. I think we've come eons just in the last 75, 80 years in this country, we've come eons in terms of racial harmony and understanding oh, with each sure. other. There's going to be, there's going to be that element of idiots that are there, right? You know, you take the Ku Klux Klan. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Georgia. I live in Texas now. I wear this hat. I wear this hat on purpose because I like to trigger people because they're thinking, you know, what does this redneck know about anything? And then we get, it, we can kind of have a, a conversation based on that. And sometimes I'll surprise you, but. My thing there is, growing up, I've never known anyone who was a member of the KKK. Mm -hmm. I, I've never encountered anybody. If I did, they certainly weren't blatant <laughs> about it. I don't know that I did. Uh, and I'm 48 years old, 47 years old, almost 48. So I've been around for a minute. Uh, I've never encountered those people. You're talking about maybe 6,500 people total in the United States that make up the KKK. But yet, what does the progressive left always do? They accuse people who want to deal with this. If you have the wrong colored skin, which tends to be melanin deficient like <laughs> myself, they want to say, well, you're you're just KKK. Yeah. Donald Trump, he's just KKK. You're talking about a very fringe of the fringe group that's there. So to that, let's stop with the name calling. Because what we'd like to do, we like to label people, put them in a box, put the box on the shelf, and we don't have to deal with them anymore, yeah. right? As long as they got the label. Stop labeling people. Uh, to the degree we can do that and tear down those monuments, those sacred cows, those statues in our hearts, the biggest cure for racism is for me not to be a racist mm -hmm. and to make sure that my kids aren't influenced otherwise. We're only responsible for ourselves. So that's yeah. what we've got to do. And I feel like even just saying that we're only responsible for ourselves, it's such a departure from what's being preached now, right? Yeah. Because we have a bunch of people saying it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist, right? That's, yeah. the, the, that's the buzzword now, anti-racism. And there's very much the sense of collective guilt. And I was talking <laughs> with this about Ali, but it's almost like they've reintroduced the concept of original sin. Yeah. And for some people, the original sin is being white, having white privilege. And it's really frustrating to me. Um, I get called a racist now for saying things like, hey... Let's treat everybody based on character, not skin color. Yeah. But it's it's this reversal where their mind of what it means to be anti-racist, and we see this even in like the Chop or Chaz, whatever it's called now, yeah. they had a black-only space that was meant to be a space where black people could, I don't know, unwind without white people. And it was actually the people who were enforcing the black-only space were white people. Yeah. So let's, let's, you know, kind of clear this up. It is a black-only space enforced by white people and you might think, hey, sounds like the 50s, but no, this is what modern <laughs> progressives say is anti-racist. Am I crazy or are they crazy? Like, I feel like some someone's got to 
Right. Well, I mean, first of all, what you said is a direct quote, pretty much, from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech, Mm -hmm. you know? Judge somebody on the content of the character, not the color of their skin. And then you have that. It's like almost, let's go back to segregation. Yes. They're demanding (laughs) it. Let's drink out of separate fountains. Let's eat at different tables. Let's have our different spaces, our different gardens. We demand that all white citizens of Chaz must give $10 to -hmm. the black citizens of Chaz. Uh, it gets really insane when you look at that, you know, and I start blaming Ronald Reagan because he emptied the asylums back in 1980 <laughs> and those people found each other, got together, started procreating and they all moved to Seattle, uh, among other places across America. But, uh, it, cause it's, it's a mental thing that I see going on here. Uh, I, I look at the whole, the whole issue there and I say, it, uh, We've talked about it. I hate the term systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't exist. It's just that it doesn't exist where they keep applying it. Right. They keep saying it is. And it's just it's like, I'm not sure you know what that word means when you use it a certain way. Um, and you can't have the conversation because I was at the I was at the if, if you're white, that is, you can't have the conversation. Uh, I was at the I was in Tulsa during the Trump rally recently. I was out in the street, thousands of people out there. It was an interesting conglomeration of people, to say the least. They had the Black Lives Matter parade. Uh, I saw one black person in it. (laughs) I saw one that was probably um, um, mixed race. Everybody else was white. Mm -hmm. Everybody, there was no tolerance whatsoever in that regard. Uh, It was very vile. The things that were being shouted and said and chanted, very vile. The posters were very vile. Their images were very vile. Uh, and so I'm seeing all these white kids who are manifesting this sense of guilt, parading this down the street. And you hear the black community who is out there peacefully protesting, which is what started after George Floyd, which they have the right to do. Uh, they're saying, guys, you're not helping our cause, right? You know, the founder of BET Television says, we're laughing at you guys tearing down these statues because that's not helping our cause. Uh, They've so torn many... down statues that were actually funded by freed slaves. Freed slaves, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and that's it. The freed slave monument there. And you have black historians and black tour guides and folks in Washington, D.C. who are in the park explaining the meaning of this statue of this freed slave whose head is up now and looking towards the future uh, it, it, because people misinterpret that. History is a dangerous, it's it's a, such a powerful thing. It's such a dangerous thing. It's such an important thing. And it's not for you to like or dislike. It's for you to learn from. And that's the thing. We're, we're living in a generation where people are choosing, picking and choosing what they like and dislike about history. And that's not a fair way to approach it at all. Yeah. And I think what's so scary about this is that the more these people come down on history without understanding it, the closer we are to just frankly repeating it. But Chad, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your insights. If people want to hear more from you, which I'm sure obviously they're going to, where can they find you? Uh, the Chad Prather Show, of course, right here on The Blaze. You can find us on YouTube as well, and where podcasts are offered. Watchchad.com is my website. You find tour schedule. You find all the different things we've got going on. Uh, and you can find the you can find the show there as well. So, And you, by the way, I've told you this over and over. You're my favorite show. Thank you. I, you're my I favorite appreciate show. You're my favorite that. host on The Blaze. Yeah, same. I, I, by the way, he, this guy plays guitar. Does He does a parody. That is very, very good. Mm. Uh, actually, next time we're in town, we need to do something together. Because, that, yeah, that would be a lot of fun. But, again, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me.